Can you hear me now? Yes. Okay. Good evening. It's good to see everyone. Um, I've been thinking over the last week or two um, about this scripture in the Psalms, and it says, <clears throat> "A father, let's see, a father of the fatherless and a judge of the widows is God in His holy habitation." Uh, let's see, and then he says, he sets the solitary in families. He brings out those which are bound with chains. And um, <clears throat> he brings them up and out. He brings out the prisoners is in, in another translation. Um, and I was just thinking, you know, I felt like the Lord reminded me in recent days. The, um, the gaps in our lives, you know, the places where there's a need. Um, whether you're fatherless, whether you're a widow, whether you're solitary, whether you're a prisoner, um, the gaps are there, not so that we lose heart. Mm -hmm. The gaps are there for this reason. Further down it says, Blessed be the Lord who daily loads us with benefits. The gaps are there so that we uh, we turn our heart simply as that simple as that sounds that we turn our heart not that we lose heart but that we turn our heart to the one who knows how to daily load us with benefits so okay let's gather
we were um, upstairs. We, were, uh, we had a little. It was a little history rehearsing of, which was interesting. You know, nice uh, talking about some of the, just for a few minutes, some of the people that, along the way, and ministries, and back on the walk, and events, and and um, I think uh, Brother Bill made the comment of uh, that we're the recipients of. I don't know how you put it, but it was, uh, I think, those that have gone on before us, certainly, uh, were the recipients of being given a great gift, I think was the word. The great gift all of us have been given uh, is Christ, and it doesn't omit the vessels that God has raised up and used to convey you know, a living word over the years, and and uh, regardless of, uh, you know, we don't know the end of end of the matter for anybody. Uh, we don't really. We understand people have trouble, and I, I remember um, somebody saying they were defending another ministry, and it was another stream, and. I didn't like that they were defending another ministry, but they made a good point. They said if you're if you're going to evaluate uh, whether people fall and make mistakes, you're going to have to rip out the Book of Psalm, Psalms and forget about David, uh, King David. And um, <clears throat> so we don't really know the end. And the other thing, I, and I, I wasn't going to say this to begin with, but um, I have it somewhere. But God doesn't look at um, life and death like we do. Um, he doesn't look at death like us at all. And um, I don't think he measures it that way. <laughs> what? He couldn't. He, he lives in eternity. He, and I think uh, it would behoove us to get next to him on those kind of matters. To know how he frames that, know how he looks at that, because he just doesn't seem to be bothered by death. And um, and I don't mean we don't hurt with loss, and we've lost a bunch of people over the years. And you know, I think of some people that have passed on, and and we miss them. And I'm not I'm not belittling that or or that sense. I just think, as far as long-term hope and scope of what actually has occurred, I think we probably want to get close to the Spirit of God and say, Lord, how do you see this? Can you? Can I get a little nudge and infusion with how you really look at this? Um, you know, and, and I thought while we were talking upstairs, you know, um, that, that you and I, you know, we really didn't, you know, Jesus said it plainly to his disciples. He said, you didn't choose me. I chose you. And, you know, that's true of everyone in this room. I was reading a verse in Ezekiel 14, or some verses. You know, we're not going to look there. But it said, even if uh, Noah, Job, and Daniel were here, <laughs> it said, and with all their faith and righteousness and whatever they brought to the table, it wouldn't help the place that's having trouble. And, uh, it, you know, every single one of us there's an election that's occurred 
to every single one of us. And, and I appreciate the family of God, and I very much appreciate where God has brought us. And I will say this also. I have, I'm saying too many things at the beginning. I'm going to have to sit down in probably five minutes. But, and that is that while I was down in, in Dallas, I'm driving along with my daughter, with Gabriella, and I, do, I really genuinely appreciate your prayers uh, for that time because things fell into place while I was there, a lot of things. And I had a week, and things fell into place. Uh, um, and but I just was struck driving with her around that city because it's just one massive city in that area. I think there's 13 million people in a 50-mile radius there. And I thought, now this, I, I know about geography, but I thought this is a wilderness. Yeah. And I know where I live. And I know, you know, there's a lot of trees and fields and all that. But I was driving in that city, with a constancy of cars and people and places, and it's just, and you look at the, the highways, and you know, and uh, I, was, I was letting Gabriella drive because she needs to learn how to drive right there. And, um, and so I appreciate your prayers, not just for that, but for my heart, because it was under pressure. And, and I, I know my blood pressure, and I was really doing my best not to minister that in the vehicle. <laughs> anyway, uh, we, we did okay. There was a couple close calls, but yeah, they were. Mm -hmm. But they were only close. It wasn't actual communion. It was just close. So, I, you know, and I'm trying to restrain myself constantly because I don't want to make her nervous, but... She was doing, making me nervous, so a couple times I had to make her nervous because <laughs> it was getting closer and closer. Um, but I do, I had a sense of, uh, you know, God takes all of us through a kind of wilderness, and, and there's definitely one out there in the cities for sure. Um, but every, every single one of us has, has an election of God, and I, I hope you understand that. That helps us put in perspective, perhaps, that this election is not because you decided to follow Jesus. It's an election because of God's foreknowledge and choosing, <laughs> and said, you know, that's why you, you know, witness to this. That's why you've been had the born again experience and born again, born from above. And you know, I know there's been criticism over the years that there was there was coercion and pressure in the preschool and kindergarten, right? Be, to get the kids to do his peer I, I just got to tell you, I have sensed in, in a re very real sense that like I was under coercion and pressure and it wasn't from any human agency. Uh, there was coercion and pressure going on in my life because of the election on me. Yeah. And you too also have had coercion and, 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 and persuasion and, and, and pressure because God elected you, there's an election, and it's individual. There's an individual election in around this room, and um, and so uh, I, you know, maybe we should keep that in perspective. First Peter, Peter one two says, uh, I guess I'll turn and read it. It's you are the elect of God. really getting bad at turning the pages. I generally just read my Bible at home on the iPad. And so I'm just a really rusty. Like some of you might be able to beat me in Bible drill, honestly. 
Yeah, that's, that's a shame. I used to beat all the kids that I taught Bible in because, you know, swords up. Did you ever play that? Okay, good. You never played it? No, I believe it. Yeah. Pray for, pray, pray for some members in the body. Um, elect, okay, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to the strangers throughout. Elect according to the foreknowledge of God the Father through sanctification of the Spirit unto obedience and sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ. Grace unto you. After that mouthful, <laughs> he had to say grace unto you, right? Because the election came from God. It didn't come from you. You're elected because God of God's foreknowledge and actual what's going on is through sanctification of the Spirit. And Brother Bill said something the other day that, you know, when you read in Hebrews 12, uh, he didn't say that, but you read through Hebrews 12, you have not come to a mountain that can't be touched and burns with fire. It's talking about Mount Sinai. He said, but the end of that chapter, it's talking about the difference between the Old Covenant and the New Covenant. But you've come to Mount Zion. But the end of that scripture, in this new covenant, he quoted, our God is a consuming fire. And I thought, what? What? what a, when I looked at that passage, I had been looking at it for a few weeks, and I thought, what a brilliant analysis that is, and what a brilliant way that the Spirit of God led whoever it was, I think it was Paul, to write that at the end of the new covenant where we have access to the Father by the, by the Spirit. We have, because of the work of Jesus Christ on the cross, we have an avenue, uh, we, we have an, a way that's been opened for us, right? But they end that passage with, our God is a consuming fire. And I thought, what an important thing to put in there. Because the new covenant, yes, it is access, yes. Even born from above, yes. The love of God is, is, is overwhelming, and the grace of God, and also, he's a consuming fire. Right. And how important it is to see that, because the election is so important. But then something else happens, and that is the sanctification of the Spirit. And the sanctification is that you are being set apart for something singular. There are many considerations that we make in our particular community. And I know we started, uh, you know, came up with a very good idea about having some times of communication when the whole family's here on a Wednesday and looking at some of the things we have to decide about in practical matters. Um, but all of that is, um, must be freighted <laughs> with the work of the Spirit, Right? All of it must be freighted with the work of the Spirit. Lord, lead us, separate me from my own everything. And because that's the ongoing, and that's what the consuming fire is about, right? That God himself, he can, we don't have to turn there, but in Isaiah 4 it says, the spirit of judgment and the spirit of burning, he's, he's cleaning everything up. You know, the reason people don't go to God is because he's a consuming fire. I, I just, there's not an adjustment on God's part to fit into my life. His invitation is tremendous. His election is personal and specific to every single one of us, and it is a, a blessing, and it's, it's overwhelming love, and it's overwhelming grace. But the closer you get to God, the harder it gets. <clears throat> because there must be this separation from 
whatever is of my own life, and there is this ongoing separation unto Christ, (laughs) abiding in Christ, that new creation. Um, So it says we've been elective God, uh, sanctified through the Spirit, 2 Thessalonians 2.13, it says, chosen, elected unto salvation through sanctification of the Spirit. So um, this chosen unto this salvation, that's the same word as deliverance. And um, I believe that you can't be unborn again from above. Okay. Thank you. But I also believe that there's an ongoing process and growth to come where God initially elected us for. And that's where we are, right? And, And you could say deliverance. And I wonder if we have considered the magnitude of deliverance to deliver you just from your own life. That is a magnitude of deliverance that is beyond any deliverance that anybody's ever seen or experienced. To just actually separate me fully from my own life and unto fully immersed into his life. Uh, that's what's going on. Um, Paul, Paul says it you know, like this, that um, 2 Corinthians 1.10 says, you know, we're... Um, I'll read it. You all know the verse, so you don't have to turn. But uh, We would not have you ignorant, brethren, of the trouble which came to us in Asia, that we were pressed out of measure above strength, insomuch that we despaired even of life, but we had the sentence of death in ourselves, that we should not trust in ourselves, but in God which raises the dead, who delivered us, from so great a death, and that is true of every single one of us. We've been delivered out of death, right? You all agree with that? Um, And he does deliver, that's present tense, right now you're being delivered. Is anybody, you should be experiencing deliverance. At least an awareness that, gee, the life of my soul is not okay to stay in. Right? Uh, my soul needs, desperately needs an anchor. Right? My soul desperately needs a covering. <laughs> my soul needs to be under. Desperately. Desperately. And I just, like, I've been so made aware of what it is to extricate me from that. Like, it is a magnitude of. Of greatness, and I, I said something silly years ago. It wasn't so silly. I said, "This isn't hard. It's impossible." But it's, it's not even worth considering whether I can do it. Yeah. It's not a consideration. Right. The consideration is the one that elected us for the purpose, yeah. and the one that elected us for the purpose is able to do it. Right. Is able to extricate us fully from living in the life that comes just out of our own human soul. And that is an ongoing deliverance. And then Paul says, and in whom we trust <laughs> that he will yet deliver us. All right? This is a very 
thorough, thorough deliverance. And I thought, what? How awful it is, all of us, with our still where we try to uh, join God to what I'm doing. And how we really, and I I said the other day, and I was telling the elders upstairs, but Bill asked me to say this, it's it's somewhat humorous. I I went to the church that Maria has been going to, because I wanted to see what it was like. So Gabriel and I went to that church, and I really was uh, praying. I didn't want to be critical of anything. You know, it's easy to be critical, you know. I mean, it's easy to be critical, period, no matter where you go. I don't know. Has anybody noticed? I mean, what was God thinking? What was God thinking? We have people live together. <laughs> wow. Um, I just don't think critical helps. That's all. But anyway, so we went to this church, and and, and the funny thing is, uh, Maria had sent us the name of the church, and and the address. But Gabriella didn't see the address or didn't pay attention to it. She just put the name in her phone, and we drove to this big, giant church called Rock Point. And I, sh- I shouldn't say what the name is, but it's, but it's a massive campus. And we went in there, and, and they had coffee in the lobby, like we do. <laughs> the same. We have coffee in the lobby over there. That's, that's the lobby. Yeah, they had coffee for a lot of people. There was a couple thousand, and... and and the other thing is, my brother tipped me off about this, that he did for a while when he first went down around the Atlanta area, he would visit churches, because there's a lot of churches down there, because when you visit churches and it's your first time, they really welcome you, and they want to win you over to their congregation, which is, you know, that's fine. Um, if you have a church, you need a people in it. And so they give out gift bags <laughs> at the churches. And my brother, who's somewhat wretched, I mean, Joel, I'm sorry, but it's just true. And I am too, because I understood it. But he would go to, he probably went to half a dozen different churches because he'd always get, he said, Dave, sometimes they have like a $25 Starbucks card in the bag. He said, they have chocolate. He said, you wouldn't believe it. So he was collecting gift bags. What what are his uh, no, this is a, that's Atlanta, but in Dallas. So we went to this giant church. It was huge, and Gabrielle and I are, bo- are similar in this. We didn't park where it said first time attendee, <laughs> and and we avoided because in this place, in order to get a gift bag, I could see the gift bags like about where John was. There was a big table of gift bags, and I was tempted because thinking maybe this is a twenty-five dollar gift certificate for Starbucks or or even better, what could be in those bags? But you had to talk to these welcoming people. Mm, no. So I didn't do it. Anyway, it was the wrong church. I did get a free cup of coffee, and we're trying to find them. And we I am always manic about being early, and we were 15 or 20 minutes early to the service, and we can't find Gabriella and the rest of the party. And, and so... Gabriel and her are texting, and we find out we're on the, at the wrong church. It has the same name, but it's a different location, so there's another one. So we went in 15 minutes late to the second one, and it's a lot smaller. It's like a satellite of the main campus, and it's a lot smaller. And So we went in there, and they had gift bags too, but I just didn't dare go over there because if it, if it was empty, I would have because I thought, well... Um, 
I just didn't want to. I didn't. <laughs> I didn't want to talk to anybody. I didn't have to. <laughs> anyway, so we're walking in, and they have a basket, a square basket. And I think I mentioned this the other day, and it was full of of communion bread and wine in these little packets. And I was so thrilled with this because I thought this is tremendous. What an efficient thought this is, right? When you walk in, it's about this big and it's about the size of a quarter and it's got two compartments, one's for the grape juice on the bottom and one is like, um, you know, a, a piece of a saltine cracker about this big. And you take that and Gabriella just walked right by the basket and they're calling after her, this, this lady and this guy. I, don't, I think he was something, he had a label. but And I, I just patted him on the shoulder. I said, you know what, she's a heathen. Just give me one for her. So, so I took one for her, but she, hadn't, she wouldn't have anything to do with it. She didn't see the, the tremendous efficiency of this that I did. She didn't have the in-depth perception but I thought, but I, you know, I tend to find humor in things because I don't know, I'm, I'm weird. But I just thought the incongruity of the convenience of the body and blood of Christ. Yeah. I thought, oh, like, do you know what it says in John six about when he was talking about eating his flesh and drinking his blood? They all left. Yeah. They have overcome that. <laughs> Because you just take, you can take a couple of them. Actually, I would like to order some for here because we could put them in lunches. And it fits into whatever you're doing. And I thought, ah, and, and it wasn't, and I thought, what a, what a great, I mean, it was a humorous picture to me that they did. I did. I'd never seen it before, you know. And so it was very, like you rip open the top, you eat the little thing, you flip it over, you rip over the bottom. It is tremendous. And, um, <laughs> And you put the empty in your pocket and you throw it away on your way out. But I thought, boy, what the, ten, the human tendency, and, and I'm sure there's some wonderful believers there. I'm not making any analysis about the people there. It's just that the human tendency, no, well, not, uh, the tendency to make this, um, to fit it in so it doesn't interrupt. And I got to tell you, the, the one thing that God is about is the interruption of you and me living out of our souls. He is into that interruption. And I, I wonder, that is the greatest deliverance. And I think what's going on in all of our hearts, perhaps, there is a, re, a transformation going on by the renewing of our mind that though we know and have discovered that God is a consuming fire and, and oh Lord we know the roots of in our natural life we love convenience we love something to fit into my program though there is there is something growing in our hearts I believe where we are there is gratefulness coming up out of our hearts for the actual work of deliverance that God himself is doing by his spirit to get us out of this trap bonded to our self-life. And that's what the consuming fire of God is all about, to get us out. And the transformation that goes on in our minds is that we say, Lord, honestly, when we get, we are in our right mind, we say, this is actually the greatest occurrence that could ever take place in my life. That you actually could extricate me from who I am, 
in all my humanity and bring me into a whole nother life, which is Christ. <laughs> and bring me not just, we've been brought into Christ, but to bring me into the fullness of the stature of Christ. I thought, wow, that's, you know, and I, I was thinking about some examples in the Bible, you know, you, the magnitude that it took, like Jonah, I love the story of Jonah because he, I, I you know, I totally get a guy not wanting to go to Nineveh. I totally relate to that. I mean, if you don't relate to, um, I will not. I don't know where you've been because <laughs> there's a constancy of experience for that with me. I don't know about for you. Maybe you've only do it once in a while, but I've, you know, that's pretty much been my trouble. And, and uh, so I get that about Jonah. And God... Talk about coercion, right? Was there an election on Jonah? You better believe it. And his election was not convenient. Jonah says, I'm going to go someplace else. Right? We all know the story. He goes in the fish. And I just I thought, I have asked the Lord, Lord, I need a better prayer life. But then I thought, don't ask that. Like, Jonah... Like, if you read chapter 2, Jonah had this prayer life that reached the upper echelons of experience. You know, that whole chapter's a prayer, right? Uh, I went down to the depths of hell. <laughs> the weeds wrapped around my head. You know, you can kind of feel what he went through with his words. And he said, those that observe lying vanities forsake their own mercy and it gets spewed out in vomit. What would that do to a guy like me? <clears throat> and so he goes to Nineveh and does what he does, and then you get to chapter 4, and God is having a conversation with him. Because God has an interest in full deliverance. For his elect. And the full deliverance, <laughs> he, did. he went to the fish, he went vomiting, all that stuff. And don't you, I used to read the arch books to my kids, right? I don't know if you guys did, but we had arch books. We were, my brother, my middle brother, heard them so many times, he had probably about 25 of them memorized. He didn't know how to read, but he memorized every single one of those. And Jonah's there sitting at it a little table with a cup of tea inside the whale with a candle. Boy, what dangerous doctrine that is, my God. Oh, this ain't so bad. Yeah, I can resist God and not have any trouble. He serves tea. But, you know, he's upset about the gourd and all that, and he's dying of heat and heat stroke and all that. And and God says, do you... you, do you do well to be angry, Jonah? And Jonah, he doesn't just say, well, yeah. He says, yes, I do, even unto death. My goodness. And, and the, la- the last two verses is God just, I don't know if he was quietly explaining, but he just, you know, it, let's just say that the, the deliverance wasn't finished. 
and maybe the point to be taken away is we don't realize the, what it takes. Right. The, how can you quantify the magnitude of the deliverance that only a sovereign, omnipotent God can do? Right? And then I thought of the other lady in the New Testament. And uh, it says, I'll, I'll read it because I like the one verse. You know the story. I just want to read, pull out a point here, Mark 5. Mark 5, 26, maybe. You know, she had the issue of blood for 12 years. And I, I, you know, in the Bible, when it talks about the blood, it means the life. She had an issue with her, dealing with her own life. And it says, verse 26, and had suffered many things of many physicians. You know, it, like there was a lot of efforts made to, to fix this, her condition. And she'd spent all she had, and this is the thing that really gets me, and was nothing bettered, but rather grew worse. And I think, man, that we ought to let that sink into our hearts. This... This deliverance is a, is quite an ordeal for you know that man. We tried so many things to to get better at, and uh, and how you have a new plan, make new plans. I've made a lot of new plans, and and uh, you know unless the spirit of God moves in our hearts. <laughs> And we understand that, God, I, I have nothing for this. And you say, well, I can do all things through Christ. Absolutely. I'm just talking about getting to that place. Right? Where you know what's, you've heard it for a long time, you know what's right. At least in your head, right? And. And this experience that this woman had to go through where she spent everything and she didn't get any better, she got worse. And, and I have had that experience. I'm worse, Lord. I thought I was getting better, but I'm worse. And she reached through the crowd. It's, you know, it says they, they were pressed on all sides. As a matter of fact, the disciples kind of made a smart aleck comment to Jesus. Like, he says, who touched me? And he said, you know, the subtext was, that's a dumb question. There's people bumping into you all over the place. There's a big press, you know. And, um, and I, I thought, you know, how significant it is that sometimes we want the perfect environment to find the Lord, and sometimes the, the only time we find him is in the worst conditions. The most difficult environment, the most hostile environment. <laughs> that isn't the time to retreat. That's the time to reach. <clears throat> then I thought... The third one I wanted to talk about quickly um, was uh, Job. Now, Job, we all know that all these stories. <clears throat> we know you should know all the Bible stories by now. In two chapters, he loses oxen, asses, and servants. Then he loses his sheep and servants. Then he loses his camels and servants. And then he loses a house with his children in it, and they die. And then he loses his health in two chapters. 
And then his friends come and they sit with him for seven days and they're absolutely silent. I know, but I thought, man, you know what? We shouldn't be critical. I don't know how many of us could sit somewhere and be silent with somebody that was in trouble because we'd want to give them a little information. But they sat there for seven days because they saw that his grief was great is what they said. And, you know, even I thought the loss of children, how painful that is. But once again, you know, I thought God is not looking at death that way. You know, when you, when you read one of the most profound stories is in Genesis, I believe, when one morning it says God decided to prove Abraham. And he said, okay, Abraham, take your only son up the mountain. That's one of the most epic stories, I think, like to to take your son and go willingly take him up the mountain. It's because it's an indication of the growth of faith in Abraham's life and trust that he had in his heavenly father, right? To, that because, and there's nothing in the margin about it. And Abraham's life was not this pristine life. Read his, the journey was like this. It wasn't. <laughs> and, uh, and, and there he was in that condition, and he was willing to offer his life fully, you know, his, uh, his own, out of the life out of his own body he was and he goes up. But you know what it says? It gives you a further explanation um, in, in Hebrews 11 where it says, what was going on inside of Abraham, I guess the, the spirit knew this, right, through the writer in Hebrews, was that he accounted that God was even able to raise him from the dead. He wasn't looking at death as finality. He was saying, I'm dealing with a God that raises the dead, that has the power of resurrection. I thought, man, i got to get that inside so I understand I don't look at the things the way I look at them. And, uh, you know, even uh, then, I think a few verses down in, that, in 11, of all the things that, that it says, it says, Joseph, when he was dying, <laughs> he made mention to his to his sons about his bones. He said, carry my bones up. And I thought, that guy too, he had a thought. <laughs> he had a thought beyond death. Right? Aren't we, the, aren't we the kind of people that should have a thought beyond death? I mean, I know we're affected. I know this pain. I don't mean that it isn't painful or loss is not painful. It is. And we feel the pain of that. But man, it's not... The, I've been around death, um, you know, close relatives, and, and it, is a, it is like about the most idolatrous, uh, wicked, evil, uh, fullness, and, and I can't say enough, expli- not expletives, what's the word? Superlatives about it, because it's like a Niagara of, of awfulness that comes over, and I, and I, I stood in a room, I was only... 13, I stood in a room when, with my grandfather and all his cronies, and they had all these black coats on, and it, it, the whole thing looked like death, not just the one that was in the coffin. The, everybody was like death, except for one aunt that said, <laughs> he looks so nice in there. <laughs> she really did. Um, it's okay. But it was, what has happened with... Death has been so idolized and so worshipped and so uh, so uh, twisted and and um, no no intersection of the spirit of God to realize He's the God of the living and that the faith 
the faith that we read about, the matured faith is that which goes, you know, beyond death. That God is able to raise him up. And that's the whole point, right? He said in Hebrews 11, you get all these people that died in faith, but they're just waiting. They without us are not, you know, perfect. So of all the things that, you know, Joseph could have mentioned that went on in his life, he said, what it says in Hebrews 11 is, by faith, he said, hey, carry my bones up. I don't care what it looks like. You can read that Ezekiel 37, right? Son of man, what do you see out there? I see dry bones. Don't be deterred by dry bones. So then I want to read one one more thing. I'm almost done, I think. In he in uh, James five. Maybe this will help you. In James five. Uh, verse 7 says, Be patient, therefore, brethren, unto the coming of the Lord. Behold, the husbandman waits for the precious fruit of the earth and has long patience for it. That means to stay under. Be ye patient, establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord draws nigh. That's talking about, I mean, my thought is, it's talking about the coming of the Lord right here. Be patient, stay under. <laughs> you know, it says, until he makes your enemies a footstool, right? Uh, verse 11. Behold, we count them happy which endure. And this is, you have heard of the patience of Job. Now, I don't know if, have you all read through Job? You've heard about the staying under of Job. And then it says, it doesn't tell you what you have heard. It just says, we count them happy that endure. And it says, you've heard of the patience of Job and have seen the end of the Lord. That the Lord is very pitiful of tender mercy. And go read through the chapters there. He says, you know, in the bitterness of my soul. You know, I mean, it is, I I have five pages here and I'm not going to go through it. But uh, there is a lot of, I shouldn't have been born. (laughs) Talk about focus on death. Leave me alone. Yeah. I should have died. I should have gone from the womb to the grave. It's very, I mean, it's very poetic language he uses. He's very descriptive. And and, um, and he said, this has happened for no reason. (laughs) I mean, uh, yeah. I mean, there's some, I don't want you to think it's just all bad. There are some intersections where he gets a little light, right? (laughs) He says, uh, he knows the way I take. When he has tried me, I shall come forth as gold. But I thought, man, that is just like our lives. We've had (laughs) this roller coaster ride of of spiritual and, and human and spiritual and human. And I thought, that is exactly what you read through Job. And God says, or somebody, by the Spirit of God, says, you have heard of the patience of Job. 
You've heard of Job staying under. There's a scripture that says a righteous man falls seven times and he gets up. And that word seven, I want it to be, I want to quantify it. When there's a number like seven, I want to quantify that. And I thought, it's got to be a spiritual number. Not because I've got some revelation, just because I've seen my life. Seven? Wow! <laughs> You're the best guy in the community. <laughs> but it says it, it's not an actual number. It's a it's a um, undefined quantity. It says it's com- completion. Uh, or how about the word in Job where he said, when Elihu comes on the scene? Lo, God works these things oftentimes with man. Yeah. So I guess what I'd like to say. Don't stop the dialogue with the Lord. Don't quit the dialogue because of the environment, because of your condition, because of how you've fallen. Don't quit the dialogue with the Lord. And it says in the end of chapter 10 of Hebrews, it says, we are not those that draw back. What's the first thing you want to do when you fall? Draw back. What's the first thing when something bad comes out of your mouth or you say something you shouldn't have said? You want to draw back. What's the first thing when you feel the consuming fire closing in? That's not the time to draw back. The writer says, but we are not those who draw back unto unto perdition but rather, we are those that believe unto the saving of our soul. Yeah. But God help us, while this deliverance is going on, that we don't back off from this relating. Lord, I need you again here. Um, don't be ashamed at what, how your prayer life comes about. Don't be ashamed that what you perceive as not staying under. <laughs> Lord, can you help me to stay under? <laughs> I, I, I kind of like this verse at the end of James 5. You've heard of the patience of Job. Yeah, I did. It didn't look like patience to me. <laughs> you think that was patience? <laughs> God understands our frame. And he's doing a, a deliverance of a magnitude that you and I couldn't, can't even comprehend. Mm-hmm. Don't be surprised at what it takes. <laughs> but God help us not to retreat and back off from the relationship. As feeble as our effort seems in calling upon the Lord, I have found, my experience has been, I say, Lord, I need help here. And my experience has been that I get help. I just got to say that. It's not perhaps dramatic, or, but it's enough. It's enough to enable me to keep walking. So God help us.
to stay in. Amen. Okay. Anything else this evening? There's one other thing I meant to say. That is, um, be careful of your analysis of what's going on in your life because we we misevaluate based upon what we consider victories or we consider defeats. And if you read Hebrews 11, read the first half. They, there was success, and then it says, and others. And we would evaluate what they went through as not success. And guess what? They all were in faith. That's not a measure of results. It's a measure of condition of heart. So God help us. Lord, we thank you for the night. We do lift up all these needs, John and Donna and Reb and Judy, Lord, and the folks on the road. Thank you for your covering hand upon us, Lord. Thank you for the night. Amen. Okay, good afternoon. Any, uh, any announcements? Thank you for uh, the dinner, the lunch. Okay.